Hi, I'm Toby Hedden and welcome to this podcast. With me today is Victoria Barron and in this podcast we're going to be talking about the tricky area of the level of compensation payable for what we refer to as a low value data breach. So Vicky, perhaps we should start by asking ourselves, why is this even something that we should be interested in? Yeah, so we have seen a discernible increase in the number of low value um, data breach and and privacy related claims, and that's for clients across all different sectors. We expect this is partly attributable to a sort of wider awareness of data rights, so data subjects are more aware of the remedies that they can achieve if there's been a data breach and so on, but also um, claimant law firms who typically or previously specialised in personal injury claims or kind of mass claims like PPI. Um, And they're seeing data breaches as an opportunity to deploy their no win, no fee business models and also to utilise their experience in group litigation, because as you well know, data breaches can be be huge um, and involve lots and lots of sort of affected data subjects and potential claimants. And sort of linked to that, we're also seeing sort of US class action sort of consumer rights law firms setting up shop in the UK specifically with a view to doing data group actions. So data breaches, as I said, often involve high volumes of data subjects, but with sort of relatively modest damage or relatively modest data that's been affected. Um, So it's easy to see why we're witnessing this evolution. So in that context, Toby, do you want to tell us about some of the challenges that we're seeing? Yeah, sure. There's challenges for all sides involved in these sorts of claims, really. Um, For some of the claimant law firms that you talked about, it's a completely new area of law, and it's one which they're learning on the job, or at least that's what we're witnessing. And in these sorts of claims, the focus is actually usually on trying to reach a settlement rather than the intricacies of data protection law. So that learning process seems to be quite slow. Um, In our experience, I would say, this probably doesn't always produce the best outcomes and can unnecessarily, we think, prolong settlement discussions. And of course, if you've got prolonged settlement discussions, you generally have an increase in your legal costs and that in itself can become an impediment to settlement, particularly if you're dealing with low value claims, which is what we're talking about here. Yeah. That's also possibly a reason why we've not seen that much case law on this, which I know that we're going to cover later, Um, but not that many of these claims are actually getting all the way to court. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And another challenge, as you say, we're going to talk about it in a bit more detail, is is that no one really knows what sort of value to put on these claims, precisely because there's very little case law. Um, But look, Vicky, why don't you pick up on that and just give us perhaps a bit of background as to how we got here and, and why there's this sort of gap? Yeah, so we can sort of trace it back to 2014, really, being specific. Um, But that's when the sort of scope of the type of damages that you could recover for breaches of data protection legislation really increased. So prior to that, um, what you needed to show in order to achieve damages for distress or anxiety, which is generally what we're seeing claimed now, and you had to show pecuniary loss in the first instance, so some kind of financial loss. If you met that threshold, you could then go on to make a claim for um, distress or just non-financial loss. The case of Vidal Hall versus Google, which you may know is the same set of facts that the the Lloyd and Google case is based on, which is currently in the Supreme Court, um, kind of changed all that. And what the Court of Appeal said was that the requirement to first of all show financial loss 
before being able to claim non-financial loss was incompatible with the sort of European um, regulations and that requirement was basically done away with. Now of course that's all been superseded by GDPR and Data Protection Act 2018 which sets this out um, but that was really the start of, of when we started to see distress only claims for breach of data protection legislation. There's also a tendency for these um, claims to give rise to other causes of action or threatened causes of action such as misuse of private information often without itemising or allocating the damages between the different claims. And claimants typically um, or often shoot for the moon uh, in terms of the level of damages they're seeking. And we often see the Galati phone hacking case cited. I know, Toby, that you've had that in a couple of recent, recent yeah, cases. Yeah, it's, fre- it's frequently cited in, in correspondence that we receive from, from would-be claimants. Yeah, so in Galati, very high levels of damages were awarded. But just as a brief overview, I mean, that case, it concerned the intentional hacking of phones and the publication of private and deeply personal information that was you know, splashed across national newspapers. And for many of those claimants, the hacking went on for a number of years and it understandably caused real distress to the victims who had you know, no idea how the information was being leaked, harmed their relationships. Um, and so Galassi is very much on the extreme end of the spectrum, and yet we're seeing it being cited as a reason for high levels of damages where the data in question might be, you know, your name, your phone number, your email address and your sort code. Um, but it sort of reflects that this is very much a developing area of law and there's not a huge amount of to go off, really. Yeah, it's it's interesting because as well as cases like Gulati, we often see one called TLT referred to. And again, if you look at the facts of it, it, it sort of it feels like it's at extreme ends of the spectrum. So it's perhaps not an appropriate comparator for some of the types of harm or, or breaches, if you like, that we see. Um, and the TLT case itself is about five years old. It predates GDPR and the Data Protection Act of 2018. Um, but even so, it's still probably the most appropriate authority we have at the moment. Um, I'll just touch on that, actually, that the case concerned an erroneous publication by the Home Office on a website um, of a link to a spreadsheet which contained the personal data of a large number of asylum seekers. Um, I think the first point I always um, take from this case is that the court confirmed and made it explicit there's this sort of de minimis threshold below which you can't get damages for distress. We don't really know what that threshold is, but it's always something that we go to and ask ourselves, well, is it really at that lower level that damages aren't or shouldn't be available? Um, So we always have a think about that. Um, In the TLT case itself, the court decided that the claimants had crossed that threshold, so damages would be available. And the highest amount that was awarded was £12,500 to each of two Iranian asylum seekers who were husband and wife. Now, they were found to have had genuine and and well-founded concerns that Iranian intelligence authorities would be monitoring this Home Office website and would be able to identify them and their relatives in Iran. Um, And in fact, as a result of these concerns, they moved to a different area in the UK. Um, So that was the sort of top end of the spectrum. Um, At the lower end of the spectrum in that case was an award for £2,500, and that was made to their daughter. Um, The court felt that their daughter had been protected almost by her youth and the care that the mother and father took to shield her from the effects of what was actually happening. 
Um, but they did recognise that even she had got some genuine concerns because, you know, her schooling and her friendships had been disrupted by the move. I think probably a key theme in the TLT case as well is that the fears of, of those individuals uh, were found to be rational and not completely far-fetched. Um, and that's an important point, you know, when you're on the receiving end of a letter from a, a would-be claimant, you know, they will tell you that, you know, it's the worst thing in the universe and it may or may not be, but you have to try and, you know, make a judgment call as to, you know, how accurate and, and rational those concerns are. So on the face of it, the TLT case suggests that damages for distress arising from, say, a, a data breach where, you know, a few credit card details have been exfiltrated and, um, you know, used, it, it's probably in a much lower order of magnitude than the amounts that you've seen, even in the TLT case itself, and certainly the amounts that are being claimed in the letters that that we've seen, for example. Um, but... You know, having said all of that, I suppose the question is for us is have things actually changed from the TLT case, bearing in mind it's five years old and that we've got GDPR and the New Data Protection Act. And that that's the question we really need an answer to. And at the moment, we don't really have an answer to it. Um, I guess, you know, and you've already mentioned Lloyd and Google, Vicky, mm -hmm. um, you know, we may have some more clarity, you know, after that. Perhaps, perhaps you can just elaborate on the Lloyd and Google case um, a little more for us. Yeah. And just. Just while we're on the TLT, before I move on to that, um, the sort of distress that you were, you were talking about, that was individuals giving evidence at trial and they were sort of cross-examined. There was, it wasn't just a bare assertion in a letter that they'd suffered distress. Um, yeah. So it's sometimes worth reminding these kind of would-be claims that what you're saying in this letter, which sounds very egregious, that will be put to proof. Um, so yes, worth remembering that. Um, so yeah, Lloyd and Google. So recently heard in the Supreme Court, if you follow this area of law, you'll know probably all about it. It's been going on for a few years. Um, but it's a case which is basically to do with cookies and the service of, of personalised advertising, allegedly without consent. So for our purposes, the key issues the court had to consider was, first of all, whether damages can be awarded purely for the loss of control of personal data or information. So, oh. Yeah, no, it's that. Um, so it's interesting that you said loss of control there. So you've we've seen an evolution then where we've gone from, you know, having to show financial loss before you could get distress damages. But then, you know, after Vidal Hall and Google, you could just get damages for distress alone without financial loss. And now we're at the stage where they're looking at damages just for loss of control, even if there's no distress. Yeah, exactly. And, and with TRT, what you were talking about was, was distress. And now we're moving on to, to loss of control. And so, as you said, no damage needs to be suffered, financial or non-financial. It's it's damages purely for the fact that data that you previously had control of, you don't. Um, it would, in effect, make the GDPR actionable per se, um, which would be a pretty big thing, in particular for data controllers who process lots of, lots of personal data. Um, and the second element that's, that's quite key is whether the claim can proceed as a representative action. So what's that? So currently the claimant is Mr Lloyd and he is a consumer rights activist and he's bringing the claim on behalf of around 5 million people. A representative action is essentially an opt-out class action. So that means that those 5 million individuals, they don't need to sign up or do anything at the start and during the course of the proceedings but rather they sort of come forward at the end, put their hand up, say, I'm part of the class, this is my proof. 
and take a share of any damages awarded. But for a representative action to get off the ground in the first place, um, the claimants all have to have the same interest. So that means that in Lloyd, the decision on the representative action is really closely tied to that of loss of control. And that's because all of the class, so this will be iPhone users between for a number of months in 2011, I think it is, um, will have allegedly suffered loss of control of their data. And that's what's being positioned as the same interest. If it was about damage instead, you might have somebody who suffered no damage as a result of the data breach, but is still within sort of class, and somebody who suffered loads of damage and distress as a result of it. And then can they be said to have the same interest? Probably not. So that's where the two are sort of very closely connected. And it's going to be really interesting to see which way the court falls on both of these and the judicial commentary that will also be you know, in the judgment. And um, either way, it's going to be really interesting and it has the potential to have a very big impact. And in particular for, for data controllers, if very large claims on behalf of millions can be brought against them, even if you're only looking at £500 damages a pop, but very quickly, that could overtake any GDPR fine that you might get. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely one to watch. It seems like, a, you know, the representative action route is a really good vehicle mm. for low value claims if you've got lots of them, which, of course, for data breaches, very often you might have. Plus the fact that you, you know, just have one person put their hand up and define the class and make the claims that it feels like it, it's a bit perhaps easier to... Yeah to use as a vehicle if it is indeed an option. And it will be really interesting, I think, to see what the Supreme Court says um, uh, and the extent to which it gives us a sort of a, a clue as to, you know, what sort of damages there might be for, for these sorts of claims. Um, I, I rather suspect that, and, and you may have different views on this, Vicky, but I suspect yeah. that if, if the way is paid for representative actions, um, yeah. we, we may see more of those and it's when we see more of those that these issues will get before the courts and the judges and the parties can thrash it out and actually figure out what a fair sum looks like for a low level data breach. Yeah and if it's if it's specifically loss of control so it's not predicated on any kind of distress that needs to be analysed and to work out how serious it is or rational it is you know they could very well start you know portioning tariffs for certain types of data like you do in personal injury claims so a, a phone number might be worth 50 quid yeah. or your bank account details might be worth 200 quid and that's how you sort of build up the quantum um, if it's not based on any assessment of, of damage or harm yeah well we could probably talk about this for a lot longer but this is a podcast so we probably ought to pause there but um just to say um thank you to everybody for listening uh, and do um remember that you can go onto our website uh, bristos.com and download a copy of the data protection top 10 publication um, including for past years as well so thanks very much